I'm Julian Dobbs, the Diocesan Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word and host of this podcast. And today I'm joined by Simonetta Carr. Simonetta was born in Italy and has lived and worked in different cultures. She worked first as an elementary school teacher and then as homeschooling mother for many years. Besides writing books, she has contributed to newspapers and magazines around the world and has translated the works of several authors from English into Italian and vice versa. She lives in San Diego with her husband, Thomas, and the youngest of her eight children. She is a member and Sunday school teacher at Christ United Reformed Church. Simonetta, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a great honor. I didn't expect it. Well, I, I'm so much looking forward to talking to you. Uh, I'm a fan of your books, and I, we will talk a little bit uh, about that. And uh, we said earlier that this will be the episode of the two accents, yes. yours Italian and mine Kiwi. So <laughs> here we go. Uh, you, you have lived a, a very full and fruitful life, a mother of eight children, translator, authored over 20 books, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you and your husband, Thomas, started on this journey and, and how the Lord has guided you in matters of faith? Okay. Well, I met my husband in Italy. Um, I was, well, I was born a Roman Catholic, of course. Uh, I had just come to understand something of the gospel. It just took a very long time for me, but uh, yeah, my husband was a Christian, and uh, those were actually the days when people just went backpacking all over the world, so uh, we kind of met informally like that. We stayed in touch. Um, the Lord brought us together again on a few other occasions, so eventually we married in 1976, and like you said, we had eight kids. Um, so yeah, like my faith has grown slowly, I guess, because I started out as Roman Catholic, so I had a lot to learn. Um, but by the time we came here to San Diego, we um, came to a Reformed church, which was kind of uh new to me, it was all new to me, but uh, I'm still there. <laughs> um, and it has taught me a lot, you know, because uh, um, just to, to go back to the, to the Bible and confessions and uh, the truths of the Reformation. So anyway, about writing, um, it just kind of happened. I didn't... Uh, plan to be writing books. I was always writing a little bit here and there. Like, you know, as you said, I wrote a few articles and uh, did translations. Um, the books for children, they just came about because I thought I was homeschooling and I saw the need for a certain type of biographies. There were, of course, biographies already of uh, Christians, 
but I was looking for something a little different, <laughs> which is what, you know, uh, what, what is the result of my books today? Because I, I was looking at books um, about artists or musicians that had a lot of pictures and, and uh, explanation of how people uh, lived in those days so that, you know, you can have a historical geographical reference, but also, especially I saw that you could find secular books about, you know, politicians, maybe that were quite in depth about what these people believed. And, and these were for young children. And I said, well, we can do that for theologians. Uh, we don't have to be, you know, to limit our, uh, our books for children just to the story of their lives and say how much they love the Lord, which, which is all great. But how did they contribute to our faith and to what we believe today? How did they explain it? How did they clarify the Bible for us? So that's what I did. And the focus on my books um, is um, mostly about theology. Just, I mean, of course, I tell the story of the people, but I try to also explain why they're important to, to the way we believe today. And um, yeah, but it just started suddenly and uh, unexpectedly because I did not mean to write those books. I was trying to get some other people to write them. And especially there was a young intern at my church. Once in a while, I either meet him or uh, in touch with him somehow and I keep reminding him. But uh, yeah, he was teaching church history for our Sunday school. And I was very interested, but I kept telling him, can you do something like this for kids? And he kept saying no. And then I, I even made a mock-up of the books, the way I thought the books should be. <laughs> I did everything I could to convince him. And then finally said, somebody said, well, maybe you should do it. So so I did, and that's how. And here we, and here we have them. I just want to mention some of the incredible titles: Augustine, John Knox, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Lady Jane Grey, uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, Irenaeus, John Owen, uh, Rene of France. I mean, on and on and on. One of the incredible things that that I have found over the years. Uh, for myself personally, and I still do this, but also for younger Christians, is to introduce them to men and women of faith whose lives have made a difference and transformed societies. Yes. People who have upheld the faith. And, and, and your writing is an incredible gift because you bring these people back to our memory and allow young readers to engage both men and women uh, with regards to some of these great Christian uh, uh, individuals. Um, and so I hope that we can have you back on the program, maybe to pick up one or two of these, because they're just just incredible. And, and uh, my producer, Mark Steele, will put a link to uh, 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 these books. And I encourage those who are listening to engage um, and to read these books and to uh, consider them. They're published, many of them, by Reformation Heritage Books. Um, and they, they, the works allow us to transmit the stories of faithful men and women uh, to uh, a new generation. 
Let's go back to the whole accents for a moment, uh, Simonetta, because uh, if we can, because you've still got connections to Italy and uh, you live in California. Both areas have been affected significantly by COVID-19 at different points of of, uh, of time. How has ministry and worship changed for you over the last several months? Um, Well, my life has not changed too much because I do most of my work at home. So um, most of the things I do are still the same. Um, When COVID-19 first hit Italy, that was very uh, shocking for me because um, it hit the country very strongly. Here, we don't feel it the same way, but... In Italy, people were dying everywhere, especially in the north. Every day, there was a huge number of people dying in a in a small area of Italy. So that was very concerning for me. I, I had family friends there. Um, so and then when it came to to the states um, over here, we don't really notice it as the people in Italy did. But um, yeah, my life has been the same. My husband is still working because he works um, at a place for people with developmental disabilities. So that place is still open. So more or less our lives have stayed the same. But yeah, worship, definitely it has affected worship and Mm. uh, Mm. we haven't been able to worship for a couple of months in church. We just had to do it online. And um, now, thankfully, we're able to go back, but um, the the services are limited, they're shorter, and uh, there's no singing. <laughs> so, yes, it's such a challenge for us as Christians, isn't it, not to be able to sing. Uh, yeah. In the in our worship in our worship services, I'm so very tempted to keep talking to you about um, all these incredible people that you have written about because it touches such a special place in my own heart. But I do uh, want to talk today about your book. I believe published last year, "Broken Pieces and the God Who Mends Them: Schizophrenia Through a Mother's Eyes." Mm-hmm. Simonetta, thank you so much for uh, writing this book. I'm just, I'm so incredibly grateful uh, for your courage uh, in telling uh, something of a very personal story. Uh, mental illness has a stigma attached to it. Our churches are no exception in the pews and the pulpit. This topic is often considered too taboo. And your book is a very honest and revealing and matter of fact look at your journey, parenting your son, Jonathan, who was afflicted with schizophrenia. Uh, To those who are listening to the episode, I strongly encourage you, our listeners, to purchase this book and read the full story. We're not going to be able to get to all of it today, obviously. But Simonetta, would you share something of Jonathan's story with us? Okay, well, he was a very bright child and uh, was uh, always one of the the best in school and everything, a joy to have around. But then when he first went to college and he went away 
for college. This is very difficult for Italians, <laughs> for Italian mothers to let their kids yes, go. Yes, absolutely. Go yeah, <laughs> I want everybody home. Um, what happened is that we didn't know everything. You know, we only saw him once in a while and he looked a little different. He looked like he was more absent-minded, but he had always been a bit absent-minded as a person. Um, also, you know, being uh, 18, 19, uh, it's, it's still an age where, uh, I mean, you know, you're still looking for your own independence and um, you can attribute a lot of things to other issues. You can say, oh, maybe he's upset about something, but, but we just saw that there was something wrong and then when he stayed with us later he ended up uh, not going back to college uh, we uh, noticed it even more and in my book I explain how some things that he said to me convinced me that something was definitely not going well with his mind um so yeah, so it's been a long journey, not knowing what to do. One reason I wrote this book is because I don't think most parents are prepared for this. You're prepared for a lot of things, um, you know, about, you know, teenage years, you know, about uh, some illnesses that might uh, come up during those years. You don't hear about mental illness. And it's schizophrenia is something that usually comes around that time, 18, 19, 20. And uh, most parents are not prepared for it. And, and I'm not saying it's a common recurrence. Thankfully, <laughs> it doesn't happen to every family, but I think people should just be aware of it. Also because it might not happen in your family, it might happen to someone in your church. So I, that's one reason I wrote the book. Um, and so then uh, we had to kind of learn everything as we went. So that's why in the introduction to my book, I say, this is not a to-do book. It's probably what not to do, but I think it's important even to show the mistakes we made and the struggles we had because people can learn from those too. And, uh, well... Yeah. So my story. And, and so, yeah. And so Jonathan would come home. You would you would see a change. Yes. Um, did things get worse? Oh yes, completely. You know, they kept going worse and worse and worse. And it was very difficult for us to take him to a doctor. Or well, we managed to take him to a regular doctor because we just said, you know, let's see. If, there's anything in your health, but he all immediately noticed, and he said we had to go to a, a psychiatrist, and um, we managed to take him there. Uh, it was very difficult, <laughs> um, and then that's when they diagnosed him. But then that was not the end of it, because of course he didn't want to take medications, and he. There was a lot of denial on his part, and um, we ourselves didn't really know um, 
in my book, I say initially I thought it was take two aspirins and call us in the morning. It was, mm. uh, I thought it was mm. as simple as taking a medication and everything would be okay. Uh, but it was not. You have to find out later, you have to regulate them, find out the right dosage, and there's a lot that goes with it. Um, and then, of course, if they don't take it, it's not going to help. Um, and, and the fact that we didn't know, initially we said, well, maybe he's right. Maybe he doesn't need them. We had absolutely no experience. So we let him, well, there's not much we could do anyway, but we let him go without it for a while. And, and it became so bad that um, eventually we we had to actually get him hospitalized and, and things became a little better after that, but not, uh, not completely. There were still a lot of battles. He was doing better. He was kind of progressing. And my story doesn't end so well, I guess, in, uh, mm. in the mm. eyes of the world, if you look at it, because he died. But, um, and I'm not going to spoil <laughs> the end of the book, but, um, I mean, to me, I don't take it as a um, negative story because, you know, he was in the Lord. So it's not the end of his story. So that was extremely that, That's the great news of the gospel, yes, isn't it? Yes. That uh, while we are broken and need healing here, uh, yes. There can and is a time for we who believe and trust in him when ultimate healing comes. You write, interestingly, about um, demon, saint, mm. and a patient view of schizophrenia. Can can you explain those viewpoints to us? Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, I think it's, it was the first chapter after I told uh, just a basic story of what happened. I just wanted to give in quick uh, explanation of schizophrenia. And, uh, when I, I said that there can be different views, especially in the Christian community, demon, I mean, even secular people, sometimes they say, I, they talk about my demons or something. Uh, so Mm, it's, mm. it's, uh, something popular, I guess, to talk about demons, but if you really think about it, Demons, you know, Christians cannot be demon possessed, first of all. And then, you know, I think the the activity of demons in the Bible, and, you know, they, they do exist, of course. But when you look at what happened in the Bible, sometimes people try to equate demon possession in the Gospels with uh, um, mental illness. And you just can't do that. You can't make that connection so strongly as some people do. Um, Because, first of all, it seems like that was a particular time when Jesus was on earth that uh, the demons were particularly active for a reason. Uh, It never happened to that extent before or after. this, I mean, I wrote a whole article about it. Actually, there's a lot mm. of uh, things that convinced me that you just can't assume immediately, oh, it's demon possession, uh, even if a person is not a Christian. Um, 
it could be so many things. So I'm not denying that there, there can be a spiritual uh, component to it, but especially in the case of schizophrenia, I have noticed that there's a very strong physical reason, like the, the mind is really um, affected. The brain is actually affected. I, I, I would use the word brain because some people believe the mind is only related to the soul. There's a whole discussion about that. Mm. But, mm. but the, no, the, they have proven that the brain is, you can see some changes in the brain. So all that to say, I don't want people to just jump to the conclusions that schizophrenia is demon possession. And I could go on mm. and on because, like I said, I have a whole article, but I'm sure you don't mm. need to get into all that. And about saints, um, this is more like a, um, there are certain cultures in the world where they actually romanticize uh mental illness, they see someone with mental illness, they think they're, they're actually more spiritual than others. So it's normally not so much with us, but they actually can uh, seep into our mentality because I've seen, especially people with mental illness, sometimes they feel that way because they can see and hear things that are not around that the other people cannot see and hear. So they are convinced that they can, they have spiritual powers or, um, you know, that they can uh, have a higher knowledge or something. Sometimes they don't want to take medications for that reason. They don't want to let go of things that to them uh, um, open up a different world, I guess. So we don't want to fall into that trap either of believing that. And I know there are people who believe that. Um, There's an organization called Med in America. Um, In some, I I actually, some people criticized me for for putting it in my recommended uh, resources at the end. Um, I don't back probably 70% of what they say, but I think they're a good resource in the sense that they give you a balance because they, they don't believe so much in medications and uh, doctors. Mm. So I think they give you a balance because you can't go to the extreme on that side either. But also there's some danger there because some of them I've seen, they, they write things like, you know, the, the, romanticize or um, uh, glorify uh, schizophrenia or other psychosis. And that's obviously a danger too. And then when I write about patient is uh, um, to just say, yes, uh, you know, I am convinced that it is a natural illness. And so in some ways you would say these people are patients, but then also there is a, danger there. You don't want to see them only as patients. Um, There's more, you know, they're human beings, they're people with, uh, you know, for for us as Christians, they're people made in the image of God. And, uh, you know, if they are Christian, they're our brothers and sisters in the Lord. So there's so much more 
to that person and you don't want to run the risk of just categorizing them as a patient and that's it. Um, so yeah, yes. I try to just give a view. Broken pieces and the God who mends them, schizophrenia mm -hmm. through the eye, through a mother's eyes. I'm talking with Simonetta Carr, uh, who shares her personal story uh, through this book. I encourage you to get hold of it and read it. Um, uh, I'm so tempted to go back again, Simonetta, and talk about those other books because they're so powerful as well. And maybe we'll do that, as I said, on another occasion. But I do want to draw this one a parallel in something that is so um, uh, has been so uh, strengthening to you and to me, uh, mm -hmm. which is the hymnody and poetry and work of William Cooper. Uh, one of the most uh, personally poignant parts of the book was your inclusion of the hymns of William Cooper. Mm -hmm. And, yes. and many of the, the clergy, the ministers and members of, of our own Anglican Diocese of the Living Word know how important Cooper's hymns and uh, personal story uh, are to me in times of trial, but out throughout life. Um, how do they comfort and encourage you? Well, I think one reason they comforted me is that you can tell as you read these poems or sing his hymns that he um, he was acquainted with sorrow, <laughs> um, that he he knew suffering and he um, he could interpret it in a uh, biblical way. Um, he was very honest and then at the same time he, he was also very uh, very deep in his uh, understanding of uh, scriptures. So, for example, one hymn that um, I, f I actually discovered at that time um, it was A Friend of the Friendless. Um, the, um, I discovered that hymn when my son was in, uh, in the hospital. It was a very difficult time for me. And some of the words were just so encouraging um, about looking to Christ and also about how God hears our prayers. But now at the moment, I don't remember all the words uh, by memory, but uh, something like, for it's, okay, I found some. It says, fair is the lot that's cast for me. I have an advocate with thee. They whom the world caresses most have no such privilege to boast. So it kind of helped me to see, yes, you know, I was going through a very, very difficult time, but at least we have an advocate in heaven that I can, you know, can talk to and other people don't. Um, Isn't that such a precious gift? The last yeah. verse of that hymn, Then hear, mm. O Lord, my humble cry, and bend on me thy pitying eye. To thee their prayer thy people make. Hear us for our Redeemer's sake. Yes, uh, yes. Simonetta, what projects are you working on now? What can we expect in the coming days? <laughs> uh, well... Uh, in my uh, regular series of the Christian biographies for young readers, I am doing now a book on Phyllis Wheatley, who's uh, 
African-American poetess of the 18th century. Um, it's interesting because I didn't even, I mean, I started planning to write about her a while ago and it's uh, right now, this is what we're really talking about a lot uh, about slavery and uh, African-American history. So I guess it's timely. It's very, very interesting story. And, and she was, of course, she was against slavery. Uh, she was as, bought as a slave when she was young. But um, also she was Christian and she was a sincere Christian. And you could tell when you read her hymns how she just relied on um, on. Uh, the knowledge of God's providence, that God is providential and he does everything according to his loving plan. And you can see that in the things she wrote. So I think... My guest has been Simonetta Carr, uh, follower of Christ, wife, mother, author, and fellow disciple with us as pilgrims who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Simonetta, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been our incredible privilege to have you on this episode of Living Through the Word. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm Julian Dobbs, and this has been Living Through the Word. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace.